title of our study tonight, Moved to Effective Prayer. It's a very important subject. Prayer has been called the life breath of the believer. And I believe that's true. When I was a very young believer, before I was in the ministry, I began to uh, memorize scripture. And sometimes when I would need a particular promise, I would memorize that promise and meditate upon it. And then uh, various subjects like prayer and uh, would find the particular passages that were dealing with prayer and would memorize those passages. And uh, I did that with the one we're going to be looking to this evening, which is found in Colossians chapter 4 and in verses 2 through 4. The Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. As a matter of fact, any that God used effectively were people of prayer who believed in, if you please, using some common terminology, getting hold of God. And in Colossians chapter 4 and verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Paul writes, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, withal praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Our Father, as we look into thy word this evening, well aware that our praying can only be that which is effective by the work of thy Holy Spirit, we ask for thy grace. We acknowledge that we have need of thee to guide our hearts, to direct us into the understanding of thy word, and to give us hearts of prayer, hearts that desire thee above all. And Father, as we look into this passage, we do ask thee to instruct our hearts, to give us a full attentiveness to thy truth, and to cause it to work ineffectually in us by the wondrousness of thy grace. And for this we'll thank thee in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I think of prayer, I think of uh, two things. Faith and prayer. Faith, of course, is a big word. Sometimes it's used generically in our day and has no relationship to that which is taught in Scripture. Of course, faith must have an object, and uh, that object, of course, is our God in Christ. And we know that without faith it is impossible to please him. And that word faith, of course, means trust. Trust in God. That's a huge concept, bigger than sometimes is given credence to. And it's reliance completely upon the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom God is made known to us. The revelation of God is in the person of our Savior. And uh, it is through the word of God, of course, that our faith is dealt with, strengthened. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, I think of times in Scripture when there were those who were in times of great trouble. And instead of trying to look to their own machinations, they sought God. They trusted Him. Like Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe His prophets, so shall you prosper, declared Jehoshaphat. And um, then we may say that it is a genuine believing and trusting in God that supplies, if you please, the fuel for prayer. 
It must be behind all genuine praying. And so it's no little thing to consider. The Lord Jesus combined together the word of God in us and prayer when he said in John 15, verse 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. It's, of course, in the word of God that we learn God's revealed will. And uh, as we learn that will and we trust him to accomplish what he has taught and promised in his word, we can learn how to pray in faith and believe that God hears us. And he does hear the prayers of his believing children. The Lord Jesus Christ taught a parable, a very important parable, and we'll read that if you look in Luke chapter 8, or chapter 18, I believe. Pardon me. Luke chapter 18, and we read here the first eight verses of this chapter. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? That's quite a description of God's praying people there. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I want you to take note that the Lord concludes that parable by speaking of faith instead of prayer. And that's very important. The parable is about persevering in prayer. It's about continuing in prayer. And uh, the Lord, of course, says that God's elect cry day and night unto him, which shows that God doesn't often immediately answer prayer. He requires the exercise of the patience of faith in us. And that's pretty clearly taught to us in Scripture. Prayer, continuing in prayer, to use the Apostle Paul's words, will only be performed from a heart that looks only to God and looks to him in truth and lays hold of his word in heart. And like Jacob of old, in some way, Jacob in that fearful night when he was afraid that his brother would come and not only kill him but his family, not knowing what he would be facing, spent all night in prayer with God and says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. My, what a passage on persevering in prayer in Scripture. So, as we say, faith must be the fuel to prayer. So, it's very significant then when the Lord Jesus concludes that parable of the unjust judge. He does not say there, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find prayer on the earth. He says, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Our Apostle Paul was a man of prayer, believing prayer, constant prayer, and uh, thus he exhorts to the same. He teaches us to pray without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. He had no problem whatsoever understanding what 
we're taught in the epistle of James that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How important this matter of believing prayer. A prayerless Christian, if there be such a thing, would certainly be a powerless Christian. But this power is not derived from anything in us by nature. It does not come from anything we brought into this world from our mother's womb. It's a power that's supplied only by God and the power, a power to live the new life in Christ, the power to serve him in truth the power to serve others and knowing the victory that overcomes the world of sin and thus in truth bring glory to God. God has ordained prayer. He has appointed it for his people. He's made it a means through which he is pleased to work and he challenges us to make constant use of it. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. Then, of you, if indeed you're in the faith of the Son of God, if you believe what God has said in his own word, and this is God speaking in the Bible, in the word of God. Again, like Jacob of old, in his persevering prayer, it can be said, he had power with God. That's something we should desire above all, to have power with God. What a word. To have power with the living God. Well, what is it that should move us to effective, believing prayer. To begin with, we must comprehend that it is ordained by God. It is his appointment. It is he who sets it forth as the responsibility of his people. And if God, as he is, is absolutely sovereign, if he brings to pass all that he has purposed, and he does, he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, as in Ephesians 1.11. There are those who would read such a passage and come up with, well, if you believe that God has ordained all things, that he is an absolute, gospel, uh, 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 he is an absolute God of sovereign power, that he has predestined all things according to his own perfect will, why pray? Why pray? What difference would that make? Of course, we could ask another question in that regard. If God did not have the will and the power and make his purpose known, if he did not actually accomplish his purpose, how could you believe his promises? How could you believe his word? God not only sovereignly works all things after the counsel of his own will, he appoints means by which he is pleased to work. God is a God of means. He uses means, various means. We make use of doctors. The Lord Jesus said, they that are sick need a physician. They that are not sick, they don't need a physician. So we understand that God ordains means, even in that regard. And uh, God brings to pass, of course, what he has promised. Is he pleased to save a vast multitude from sin out of this world from every kindred, tribe, people, nation, and make them his own royal children? He appointed the means by which they shall be saved. After that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God 
by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The foolishness of preaching there is not foolish preaching. It is preaching the thing the world considers to be foolish. Christ crucified. God, a God who got crucified to save his people. That's what the Romans and the Greeks scoffed at. Does God only justify sinners by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? God does not justify apart from faith. That becomes clear in Scripture. He appointed that means of faith in Christ and Christ only for justification. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. That was said by a man who was born a Jew, a man who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees before he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but was brought by God's wondrous grace to Christ and Christ alone to trust him and trust him only and says justification is by faith in Christ the means God appointed he appointed the means one of the major means by which God is pleased to work appointed by him ordained by him is the means of believing prayer the prayers of his people. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19, God says to Jacob that he did not say to him, seek him in vain. He does what he says. He does what he says. And if there is no genuine faith in this sovereign God, there can be no true prayer. Hath he said, and shall he not do? It is God who appointed this means. And we pray aright when we believe and expect God to do exactly what he has said in his word. There have been those throughout church history who seem to have a special measure of faith and prayer, trusting God to do what he said he would do, and finding that God is absolutely faithful to his word. We learn his word. We learn his promises. Then we apply them, and we believe God, and we seek him for them. Believe and the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. As in Joshua, or, Je or rather Jehoshaphat, in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. And so, we understand that the sovereign God, who rules over all, appointed prayer for his people, appointed the means of believing prayer for his people, prayer fueled by trust in him and his word. For us who are in Christ, God has opened a way to himself. Those in sin do not have access to God sin separates from him it's the great separator between the natural man and God himself and God is absolutely holy so infinitely holy that those who are in sin cannot approach him in their sins the way is not open in sin Rather, the thunders of Sinai would be heard rather than the wondrous grace of Calvary. So, how do we approach 
an infinitely holy God. Holy, righteous, just. There's only one way. It's not the way of our making. Not simply the way that we come to God. It's not because we can put some bumper sticker on our car and tell everybody to pray. Not everybody does, nor can, nor has access to God. As is clear in Scripture. There's only one way. There's absolutely no other way that we have access to God. And that's by the one eternal sacrifice that God himself has made for our sins. No other way. And we come in the name of the one who alone is our righteousness. And by the enablement of the Holy Spirit given to all who believe and in truth trust Christ, know him, come to him, and continue to come to him in his name, in the knowledge of him, that is. And by his Spirit, as in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, we have access to God. And if the knowledge that Christ is your sacrifice, that he is your altar, that he is your one high priest, the only one through whom you can come to God, that he is the opener into the very holiest of holies and truth where God dwells, that by his own shed blood, by the blood of his cross, he rent the veil in twain that separated between God and you. Should that not impel you and me to make constant use of this means, this open way that God has given us to himself? As in Hebrews chapter 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. That means to come with full confidence because of him, because of his cross. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have one who knows us. We have one who is compassionate toward us. We have one who is indeed touched with our own infirmities. And through him, we have free access to the throne of grace. But now, as we look into our text here in Colossians 4, we must think about some dangers to be avoided in this matter of prayer. Dangers. And give all seriousness to what we read as the Apostle writes, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Watch in the same. And so this watchfulness in prayer, this alertness in this holy exercise of the believer, this determined avoidance of all sluggishness in prayer, this focused attention which is involved in watchfulness, it's part of the reverence brought to God in prayer the alertness we give. We're to give that alertness under the ministry of his word, to avoid all sluggishness, to give all diligence, of course, to hearing the word. When Paul speaks of prayer in Ephesians 6, 18, he calls true prayer all prayer. All prayer and supplication. 
The word watch means to be vigilant, awake. And it's the same word our Lord himself used in Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and stand before the Son of Man. Watchfulness, so very, very important. God, the living God, we don't give him our half-hearted attention. We're to give him our full attention, reverentially listening to him. Rightly then, it has been observed, watchfulness suggests a danger to be avoided. And this danger comes from two main quarters. The evil one makes the believer careless so that he neglects the very practice of prayer. On the other hand, he dulls his mind and distracts his thoughts. We give little thoughts sometimes that distractions, that the heart allowed to be pulled in every direction away from God and attentiveness and watchfulness and vigilance in prayer is sin. It's dishonoring to our God himself. Sluggishness comes from the flesh. It's in us by nature. It's something we have to avoid. And uh, it comes from the weakness of sin in this flesh. And it produces itself in our mortal bodies so that we become conscious, just as the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, when he told him to pray that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. So we must then develop not only a consistent, persistent, constant prayer life but also apply to prayer what the Apostle Paul applied to our walk in Christ. When he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. But he's talking about a discipline, a discipline that brings the body into subjection so that this body and its lethargy and its tendency to sluggishness does not ruin our prayers and our attentiveness and wakefulness and vigilance in prayer. And I dare say, there's not a one of us who has not failed in this at times. For experience teaches us that prayer, true prayer, as Paul again called it in Ephesians 518, all prayer, not an easy matter. Sometimes we speak of laboring in prayer. That's something we should be engaged in, to labor in prayer. All that in us is, we bring before God. We seek him diligently. Then, uh, then we must confess before God sometimes our sluggishness, our failure to maintain the discipline and the diligence that we should do and then continue in prayer. Then consider that true prayer, as Paul called it, all prayer, includes the element of thanksgiving. We don't just simply come to God like a little child that's coming to his father and always asking for something, always seeking for something. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. It becomes very clear in Scripture that thanksgiving is to be a very prominent thing in our praying. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. 
it has rightly been said that prayer is the most important expression of the new life. Even the reception and the realization of this new life should be then a point of great thanksgiving to God. We come to God, we thank Him for the wondrousness of His grace, for the glory of His redemption, for the glory of salvation, for being delivered from sin, delivered from this present evil world, made a child of the living God, given the wondrous gift of eternal life. We have so many spiritual blessings, all spiritual blessings in Christ, as Paul called it in Ephesians 1, that we could spend a whole day just thanking God for those spiritual blessings, rejoicing in Him. And you will not lose heart in prayer if you're truly aware that God, by the gift of His Son, by Christ and through His cross, that He shows that He has loved you with an everlasting love. How could we not praise and thank God for the glory of His love from which we who are called and believe can never be removed? Not in time, not in eternity, from His glorious and great love. And if He has delivered you from this perishing world, if He's made you His very own, his mercy attends your every day. He is merciful to you. Yeah, we go through trials, difficult things, hard things come. But if you belong to him, all this world, if it goes, you still will belong to him. Still, you are his. He might remove from us the love of this world and the love of things, and that's a good thing, and bring us to love him who loved us and gave himself for us. Realize that his mercy attends our every day. So many mercies that we could not count them up if we began and really considered them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have so much to praise and thank God for. How wrong we are when we're so taken up with all the little difficult things of this world that we fail to recognize the blessings of God and the gloriousness of what he has granted and given to us. How could this not be then a point of constant thanksgiving? There's so many things to thank God for that if you should count them all up it would consume your time if you would really consider the gloriousness of God's wondrous mercies toward you it would take your time up and so how could there be true prayer wide awake prayer without thanksgiving to God without praise to him without entering into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And then we have that wondrous promise that attends prayer with thanksgiving in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Look at it. The epistle before Colossians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. That's an incredible instruction. That means not to be engulfed with worry, to be taken up with worry. Be careful for nothing. What's the antidote to this being careful? But in everything. What an instruction. In everything, by prayer and supplication, that's making your request known. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And notice the promise of verse 7, if that verse 6 is complied with. And the peace of God, 
which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know what that means? If by God's grace we comply with verse 6 here, that means that God himself keeps this peace for us. It's kind of like Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. What a promise. What a promise. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we applied that every day, day by day? And then... Uh, Paul instructs, and we have a very instructive thing in these verses, about praying in spiritual priority. The things of God first in our praying. Not the things of the world, not the things that we like, not natural things, spiritual things. The things of God taking precedence. You remember in the great model prayer by which the Lord teaches us? It's our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. God's glory. We glorify him first of all. Thy kingdom come. The spiritual reality of God's kingdom. This being first. These spiritual glorious matters being first in our praying. So consider the context in which the Apostle Paul uh, makes a request himself here when he says continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving with all praying also for us what for that I can get out of this imprisonment he was imprisoned when he wrote this Colossian epistle he was imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel of the son of God not he'd broken any law not that he was criminal. He wasn't. He was a preacher of the gospel of the Son of God and he was imprisoned for that. With all praying also for us. Nothing about even release from imprisonment. What is it? Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Withal praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Paul is imprisoned. In the companion epistle written also from this same imprisonment in Ephesians chapter 4 he writes in chapter 4 verse 1 that he is the prisoner of Jesus Christ. You know what that signifies? He was there by the will of God. He was in prison by the will of God. God had a purpose for Paul being in prison. Is not then the willingness to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ a proof of just how important and serious a matter the testimony of the gospel is to him. Above his own comforts, above even his getting out of imprisonment, and understanding that though he is bound, as he could write to Timothy, the word of God is not bound. He might be bound, but the word of God is not bound he can even thank God for his chains. In Philippians 1. Why? Because it will fall out to the furtherance of the gospel. Talk about spiritual praying. Talk about priorities in praying. Much of so-called praying is but earthly in nature. It puts the priority of temporary things first. If it doesn't exempt altogether the spiritual things, the praise, the thanksgiving to God, the consideration of the glory of God's grace and salvation, 
the desire that God be glorified and magnified, that his gospel prosper. How very instructive that Paul does not request deliverance from his present imprisonment. He leaves that with God. He knows that he is there by the will of God. That's why he called himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And that's quite something, as he wrote to the Ephesians. And then he seeks the prayers of the saints to pray for a door of utterance right where he is. Right where he is, that there he would be a light. That there he would be a testimony. That there he would care for the souls of men and be a light to them with the gospel of the Son of God. That God would open a door of utterance right where he was. Imprisoned. Should not your daily praying have the priority of the kingdom of God? Of his righteousness? Should there not be a request that God open a door of service? Open a way to be a light and to speak his truth to some needy soul? For there to be an opening that God would open a door of testimony to some poor sinner for the gospel ministry to prosper for those who are on the mission fields and carrying it to foreign lands it's God who must open the door of effective witness and if that door is not opened Maybe there ought to be a question. Is this my priority? Is this my priority? Have I really sought a door of service to honor the true and living God? Have I prayed for an opening to speak his word? Should we not quit bemoaning the awful condition of our society in which we find it today? If we're unwilling to be an instrument in the hands of God and with his word. God help us then to know that if we are to be a gospel witness in life and in word, then we're first to be moved to prayer, believing, watchful prayer. Spiritual prayer if we're to expect God to move to open doors then we must understand that we stand in need not only for God to open a door to speak the mystery of Christ that is its contents being Christ himself and the glory of his redeeming grace he the source of and some of salvation for both Jew and Gentile. That's now no longer a mystery, but a glorious truth made known. Should we not seek God to know how to speak? How to speak. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Withal praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. How we speak. Is it not true that men may fail to hear what someone says because of the way they say it? Is it not true that someone can shut up themselves against someone because of the way they talk to them? Is that not true? For instance, the tone of the voice. The tone of the voice can really show itself whether there is a real concern for the other person or if there's rather a bitter and accusative tone. 
And that can be just as important as what is said. The way something is said is just as important as what is said. I remember hearing about a man who wanted to be a witness, and he was a witness. I think he was in a train station, and there was a, 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 a drunk that came up to him and had his bottle in his hand and offered him a drink and said, I guess you think I'm just the worst fella. You know what he said to him? He said, well, I think you're very generous. <laughs> and then he began giving him the gospel of the Son of God. If he delivered him from his drink, he would do it <laughs> in a right way. But he showed concern for him. How we need to be oft reminded that we are to speak the truth in love. What a difference it makes the way you speak the way you talk to someone. We must learn to pray, not only for gospel ministers, but for personal conversations. To be able to make clear what we say and to say it graciously. The Apostle Paul called that in the Ephesian epistle, speech seasoned with salt. And we must know that to live the new life in Christ, to live no longer unto ourselves, but unto him who died for us and rose again, to have a, a true spiritual priority in our life and in our praying, to know how to speak to men, requires something far beyond our natural powers. We can't do that by nature. Nature will fail you every time. It requires divine power and divine wisdom not only to speak the truth and to speak it graciously, but for your life to be a light, a witness in the world, for you to be the salt of the earth. You see, before ever you can give a real witness, you have to be a witness that in your life. Paul was a witness, not only with word, but in his very life, in the way he lived and what he showed. That's why he could write to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in the, power, in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you. They saw his life. They knew what he desired. They knew his holiness, if you please, his separation to Christ to belong to him. And then they listened to him. What a difference that made. So don't think that you have to be somewhere else. You're not in the right place. If you were somewhere else, you could serve God better. If you were just somewhere else, it would be much better for you. Don't even entertain such a thought. Right where you are. Right where God has placed you in your present condition. There you're to be a witness. There you are to live a witness. There you are to seek God to open doors, to give a witness. So pray, as Paul would instruct us. The observation has been made. Now the apostle did not intend to say, pray that by my release from imprisonment, I may be able to proclaim the message of salvation. No, he wanted that door right here and now if you do not serve God right where you are guess what you won't serve him anywhere else either God who put us where we are and right there we are to be a light 
a witness. So very instructive here, isn't it, what the Apostle Paul has taught us in this passage. May God bless it to your heart and to mine. Well, I guess most of us were rather shocked <laughs> to hear about a tree going through uh, Barbara and uh, Dale and Dawn and Emma's home. Pick your pardon? Can't went through your house? Just a deck? Part of the roof. Okay, well, you have something in common. <laughs> Anyway, we, we pray that something even better will come out of it. You know, even, even such as that, we're, we're thankful. Much thanksgiving can be given to God because no one was killed. They could have been. Can you imagine what happened if that tree just came a little further? Dale was injured, but obviously it wasn't critically. So uh, much indeed to be thankful to God. And uh, still, you think that comes under Romans 8:28? Yes, it does. It does. And it'll be interesting to see how things develop and work. But uh, Barbara wanted to express her thanksgiving to you for um, praying for them during this time. And uh, there are those who've done various things to help. I had uh, a note today. Church is willing to help. I'm sure the deacons will want to be sure that they've got what they need. And... and uh, and so, um, I think things are going to work out okay for them. But it must have been quite a bit of travail uh, that they went through yesterday. Uh, Carol, last time I heard, is coming along really well. She has that tube out of her throat now and uh, is on the way to healing. So... Uh, we can pray for her and thank God for her. I had my MRI this morning um, in that tube they put you in. It's interesting. That thing, if you're claustrophobic, you would have some real problems. Uh, I talked to the, the, the people who were working in there. I said, does anybody ever come out of this thing? They said, yeah. They said, people, about once a week, somebody said, get me out of here. And so the, they want to get out of that thing. And she said some of them refuse to go in it when they see it. But uh, that was that was taking place today. And find out the results of that tomorrow. Do we have other special prayer requests? We're having, of course, the Lord's table this coming Lord's Day. Pray much that God would bless the services, bless the ministry of his word and our participation in that glorious love feast that our Lord has established for us. Uh, we can stop the live stream now, and those at home can do their own praying. fellas go ahead and pray and we'll pray with you silently
Father in heaven, we come before you tonight, sincerely thankful for what you've done for us. We cannot name all the blessings that you have poured out upon us. Indeed, we are frail and forgetful creatures take so many things for granted. But we thank you first and foremost for your mercies to us in Christ, for providing a way of salvation 
for the sacrifice of your son. Indeed, in ordaining a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to you, when we were lost in sin, when we had rebelled and gone astray and were not seeking you, you loved us and gave your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for sin to reconcile us to yourself. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you have taught us to love you because you first loved us. Thank you for your word. It is, it is vast and we cannot plumb its depths. Indeed, we cannot comprehend it fully. Thank you for your servant, our pastor, who labors faithfully to preach the gospel and to teach us your word. Thank you for your patience with us and your willingness to bear with us, to bear with our infirmities, to daily forgive us and remind us of the things that we have neglected and forgotten to preserve us to bless our weak faith to help our unbelief to forgive us of our failings and neglects and to strengthen us and encourage us in the way I pray that you would find us faithful, that you would give us all that we need to continue and to persevere, indeed to be a better witness in our lives, that you would teach us to speak the word of the gospel boldly not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ even in the midst of a generation that spurns you for that we would not be ashamed that we would be lights in the midst of this dark world Lord merciful to spare Barbara and the Sorensons and we are thankful that that Dale's injuries are not terribly serious and that no one was badly injured or even killed. I pray that you would make provision for all that they need at this time and that they would be able to uh, recover all those things which were broken and lost. I pray that you would use us to be a blessing to them at this time and give us opportunity to minister to their needs. pray that you would visit them with a sense of your presence and care and reassure them that you will provide for all that they need and that you would give them a peace that passes understanding in this time of loss. We thank you that you bless us with an inheritance in heaven where Rust is not corrupt. Indeed, those blessings which await your people cannot be destroyed. We pray for Carol. Pray. We thank, we're thankful to hear that she was able to have the tube from her neck removed, and we pray that she would be able to make a full recovery from the surgery. We pray that you would keep your hand on Carol and Bob. Thank you that Ron was able to have the MRI and we pray that through the use of this means that you would um, bless him and use the doctors to, to uh, fix his health problems and pray that you would uh, bless his, his upcoming surgery and give him a full recovery. And Lord, we 
are thankful that this coming Lord's Day as we gather to worship you, that we will be able to participate in the Lord's ta table that you have given to us to memorialize what you've done for us on the cross and the shedding of your own blood, the breaking of your own body in order to redeem us from sin. I pray that you would help each one of us to be able to come prepared. And thank you that Jordan has confessed his faith and followed you in baptism. And we're thankful that he will be able to participate in taking the Lord's table with us and we pray that it would be a time of special blessing even as you, you unite us together in our mutual love for the Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.